Does this pointer work with whatever I do? Okay. You have to hold it down. Mm-hmm. Are we on? Is that on? Yeah. So if you hold the that one down. Okay, I can highlight. Great. Okay. Well, it's a joy to be here. And I want to thank all of you who prayed for us. And it's because you prayed that we are alive. We do not take your prayers lightly. And I know that there were those of you here who were literally praying for our survival. And since we are here, obviously the Father heard and answered your prayers. And we are are grateful for that. We've been missionaries in the former Soviet Union. This is our 30th year. We were in Ukraine when the war began. Very interesting experience to be awakened about 4.30 in the morning with uh, bomb blasts. Uh, The first one we heard, we didn't know what it was, just a very loud explosion. And not long after that, we heard the second one and we knew something was happening. And uh, we started to get text messages and we turned on the television and discovered that the Russians were bombing the city, and so we had to make some decisions. My initial decision was that I would not leave, I would stay. But as time went on, I began to realize that I would be more of a burden to the people there than I would be a help, and if there's going to be a war, I didn't know how much ministry I would actually be able to do to the people there. And so uh, we decided that we would leave. And uh, many of you uh, may have heard the story of our extraction. Dr. Robbie Dean happened to be in uh, Ukraine teaching at our Bible college at that time. And through many of his contacts, uh, we were taken out of Ukraine. It was a very interesting experience. There was shelling going on around us. We saw artillery pieces recently fired out in the field, not far from our home. As we were on this large van trying to get to the border, we saw Russian fighter jets overhead. And It was um, not a fearful time for us because we knew that we were in the Lord's hands. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the enemy came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies, my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, My heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this, I'll be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he will hide me. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. You see, God has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And it's knowing the word of God, knowing who we are in Christ, knowing the plan of God, knowing that he has already given us a certain number of days. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for you when as yet there were none of them. God knows. And so it's uh, very comforting to know that the Lord is the sovereign. He's in control of all things. I can put my life in his hands and relax. And so it was uh, the word of God that gave us comfort and stability. And the Lord was faithful and merciful and he delivered us. And so what usually would take about eight hours to drive to the border took us two days. And so after 48 hours, uh, we were able to cross the border into uh, Romania. And um, there we uh, found refuge. So uh, this is a picture of Europe for uh, just for orientation purposes. Uh, okay, let's see. I'm pushing and holding this. Do you have to turn this on, David? Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah. So this is Ukraine. Uh, the big red one up there is Russia. Ukraine is the largest country in Europe. It's about the size of the state of Texas. Uh, when we first went there, the population was about 48 million. Uh, now it's down to about 38 million. I don't know what it is today because so many people have fled more than 14 million Ukrainians have been displaced because of the war um, and uh, millions have left the country. So uh, down here, it's the Black Sea down here, Turkey. So around Ukraine, you have Belarus, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and a tiny country called Moldova. Now the some people say, well, why didn't you get out of Ukraine when you saw all of those troops building up on the east side of Ukraine and in the north? And the reason why is that this war actually started back in 2014. It's been going on for eight years. You recall in 2014, the Russians 
took the Crimean Peninsula, that's this little area that hangs down into the Black Sea, and Russia wants that because they don't have any warm water ports for their navy, and there are some great ports on the Black Sea. And so they took over the Crimea in uh, 2014. At the same time, they also invaded the eastern part of Ukraine in there. That's the industrial heart of Ukraine. They have a lot of mining over there, minerals, coal, and they also have uh, heavy industry and uh, the largest steel mill in Europe, I suppose, is uh, located over in that part. So it's a very rich part of Ukraine. And the Russians came in and they took over several cities in that part of Ukraine. And something that you probably didn't hear on the news is that between 2014, 2022, some 14,000 Ukrainians were killed in fighting with the Russians. So this has been an ongoing situation. And we had heard, uh, well, the Russians are building up troops and they're going to invade, but our thinking was they will invade from the, from the east, from over in this area. And Kiev is clear over here. Uh, and we thought they will come from the east and it will take them a long time to get to Kiev. But uh, instead, they began by bombing the city of Kiev, which is the capital city, great city, about four million people in the metropolitan area. And they sent troops down from Belarus in the north, and uh, they tried to uh, come in from the north, and they attacked two cities just north of Kiev. One is called Irpin, the other is called Bucha, and they did tremendous damage there, a lot of bombing, many, many Apartment buildings were destroyed, churches were destroyed, shopping malls, and so on. Um, but the Ukrainians drove them back. And so Ukraine has been fighting a very brave war uh, since the invasion on February 24th of this year. And I've been very proud of our uh, Ukrainian people. Uh, they've shown great courage and they have resisted. Uh, the Russian army, and they continue to fight today. Pray for Ukraine. They are uh, under tremendous pressure. So many people have lost their homes. The destruction in the east and in the south has just been tremendous. In some cities, they've, they've lost 80 to 90 percent of the buildings, infrastructure destroyed. Many people who are still there and cannot get out they have no water, no electricity, no heat, uh, and food is becoming a tremendous problem because they can't go to the grocery store. And these people don't have jobs now, and therefore they don't have income, and it's a uh, very difficult time for them. So I would ask you to pray uh, for these people and pray for victory in there. Now, some people have said, well, we've heard that uh, Ukraine is a very corrupt nation, and therefore we should not support them. Yes, there is corruption, no question about it. The reason why is that in Ukraine, most of the leaders have a sinful nature, okay? Um, 
And so there is some corruption, no question. But the people are not fighting to preserve corruption. They are fighting for their lives. They are fighting for freedom. They are fighting to protect their women and their children. They are fighting to protect their homes. And we've also heard that uh, Ukraine is anti-Semitic. That is propaganda. I want to tell you that is not true. I have traveled extensively all around Ukraine. I have uh, had contact with numerous Jewish organizations in Ukraine, and it is not a country that is anti-Semitic. The president of Ukraine is a Jew, popularly elected. This would not happen in a country that's anti-Semitic. Uh, so sometimes you may read on certain websites or hear certain people saying, oh, we Christians should not support Ukraine because they're anti-Semitic. Not true. Absolutely not true. And uh, so a lot, of, a lot of people saying, don't support Ukraine. We have no business being there. I'll give you my take on the conflict. Ukraine in my estimation, is the best place in all of Europe for spiritual things. I've traveled to many countries, more than 40 countries. In many countries in Europe that used to be strong Christian nations, today you can't hear, get a hearing for the gospel. You go to many places, you want to talk to them about the Lord, and they put up a barrier. They don't want to talk about it. In some of these places you can go and it's hard to find even a church building, let alone a church, and to find an evangelical church is almost impossible in many of these places. But the gospel is growing in Ukraine. We in Ukraine have spiritual freedom there. We can go out on the street and preach Jesus. We can distribute literature. We can pass out Bibles. We can plant churches. We can have seminaries and Bible schools. And we can still get a hearing for the gospel. And we have established the Word of God Bible College in Kiev. Our objective is to train pastors, teachers, evangelists, and missionaries. I have long said that the job of a missionary is to work himself out of a job. They don't need American pastors in Ukraine. They need Ukrainian pastors. So our objective has been to train men so that they can do their own ministry. And so we have trained men who have gone out and they have started their own churches. They have started their own ministries. And today we have people all across Ukraine doing ministry who are well-founded in the Word of God, who have a grace gospel. And they are going out and they will evangelize and then they start a ministry, they plant a church. And so Bible churches, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches now are scattered around different places in Ukraine. And since the war began, I am so proud of the Ukrainian Christians. They are there doing ministry. They are taking this as an opportunity to glorify God. And our people are not whining. They are not crying. They're not complaining. Oh, why me? God, how could you let this happen to us after all we've done for you? Or at least we've uh, 
you know, tried to serve you and how can you let this happen? They're not complaining. They are there taking this as an intensified opportunity to serve the Lord and the gospel is going out and we have pastors who are continuing to minister in their cities. They are taking the gospel to the front. They are taking it to soldiers. They are giving them the gospel and they are also encouraging the saints. And many people from our church, Word of God Church in Kiev, uh, have had to flee. Now the church is still functioning in Kiev. We only have 15, 16 people that gather on a Sunday morning. They meet, but we have 70, 80 people uh, join them online for the worship service. Uh, The church also meets twice a day, every day for prayer. They're serious. So they continue to function. The church there has a Ukrainian pastor doing a magnificent job. They continue to have Bible studies two times a week. So the church there is functioning, but most of the church has been scattered. Many of the people have gone to Western Ukraine where there is relative safety at this time because there's been very little uh, shelling, uh, very little activity in the Western part of Ukraine. So many people have gone to cities over there, uh, but they are doing ministry. So you have people who are uh, going to refugee centers, and uh, mostly they're women and children. And we have women who will go and say, oh, I know you've left everything behind, and uh, your husband's in the war, and and I I know you're frightened. Can I pray for you? And nobody is saying, no, don't pray for me. And so they'll pray for him and then say, uh, tonight after we have fed you, we're going to have a Bible study. And we're going to tell you what the Bible has to say about this present situation and about how God can help you today. And so uh, the gospel is being presented. But not only that, we have people from our church now who have been scattered across Europe. It's like Acts chapter eight, verse one, where it says great persecution came on the church and the disciples were scattered. And that's the situation we have now. Our people have been scattered and now they are in five, six different countries in Europe. Many have gone to Poland. And we have people in Poland now doing ministry because some five million Ukrainians have gone to Poland. And they need someone to minister to them. Well, we have people who uh, know the word of God. And even some of the people from our church who were not involved actively in ministry in the church, now they are doing ministry because suddenly they realize, I know the Bible. I can teach people. I can tell others uh, about God's provision for them. And so now we have people that are getting involved in ministry where they are because they have opportunity. We also have uh, a young man who uh, has just finished up our Bible college. Uh, He went into Poland and uh, he had no pastoral experience, but he's going to be a great pastor. Uh, I can see this in this young man. And here are all these Ukrainian people and they don't speak Polish. So who's going to minister to them? So here's this young man. He was just given a church and he's doing a wonderful job teaching the, the word of God there. But we also have people in Romania, Czech Republic, Germany, France, 
uh, even Great Britain, our people have been scattered, but they are doing the work of the ministry. And it's just wonderful to, to watch these people who have taken what they have learned in church and now they are using it. They are ministering to, to others. So even though there's great disruption, the plan of God goes right on. And we have been blessed also. We have received numerous letters from uh, people from our church. And they say, thank you for teaching us the word of God. That's what's sustaining us now. And we've had a couple people write and say, thank you for making us memorize scripture. <laughs> of course, I don't make them, but I strongly encourage memorizing scripture because that becomes the iron in your soul. That's the anchor for your soul. You need to be memorizing scripture. Work on it. Memorize it. Learn 20 or 30 salvation verses so that you can give the gospel to others, even if you don't have your Bible with you. Learn 30, 40 promises from the word of God that will sustain you in time of crisis. So right now the Bible college is not functioning. It's not possible. It's not viable for us. Uh, we can't recruit men to come and uh, live in, in the city of Kiev right now. Uh, and very difficult to get professors uh, to come and teach at this time. So at this point, the Bible college is suspended. We are uh, thinking of different ways that we might uh, continue this online or in other ways, but right now we don't have a, a viable solution to that problem. But the ministry there still continues. Um, Phyllis and I are considering going to Poland. Uh, we plan to go there in October. And I'll put on a Bible conference there for a couple of weeks and we'll get the lay of the land and see if it's uh, possible that we might be able to establish a beachhead in Poland and start a ministry there uh, to uh, maybe uh, get a Bible school started at that place. We don't know. Um, so uh, in our future... We did not leave Ukraine by choice. Our heart is still there. We want to go back, uh, and we will see what the Lord provides for us. Um, until then, we're uh, speaking as we have opportunity, teaching the Word of God. Uh, we've already been to many states. I don't know. We've been to probably 30 or 40 churches since uh, March. And... Uh, we're, we're scheduled through September. After that, uh, we're not sure where we're going to uh, be or where we're going to go. We're, we're thinking we'll go to Poland, but after that, we're not sure. So just pray that the Lord is going to give us wisdom, sense of direction, where we're going to be able to do ministry because uh, we are not finished yet. I have a photo here that I thought might be of uh, interest to you, if I can find it. This is... Um, a photo taken a few years ago in the city of Lysychansk. You may have seen Lysychansk on the news a few weeks ago, uh, but I understand these names are very strange to you and you probably didn't remember them. Lysychansk was a city that was invaded by the Russians back in 2014. 
They took control of the city. And then the Russians said, we will give a safe corridor for people who want to evacuate. So uh, they said, here, you can go down this street and uh, you will be safe. But uh, the Russians set up a, a machine gun up in this area, and they had a sniper up here. Now, this is a, a school, elementary school. And so when people started traveling down this street where they had been promised safe passage, the Russians opened fire and just murdered the people as they were coming by. Uh, the Ukrainians came back and they set up a cannon out in front of the school and they, they managed to take out <laughs> this machine gunner and they took out also the uh, sniper up there. And the Ukrainians were able to take uh, control of the city again. Now the man on the right is a pastor of the church where I had gone. I, uh, taught there a couple of weeks. And when the Russians were invading, he sent his wife and children to uh, another city where they uh, would be safe. And he was at home and he said, I should go to the church building and be there just so that looters won't come in and take advantage of this situation. So he went to the church to spend the night. And during the night, his house was bombed and he lost everything. I mean, absolutely everything. There was nothing left. But he's still there, and he's still ministering to his people. So uh, we're, we're very proud of these people. So pray for Ukraine. Pray for victory. Pray for peace, that we can continue to spread the word of God in that place. I think that perhaps one reason for the war that's going on in Ukraine today is because the word of God is proliferating in Ukraine. And this is one way that the devil thinks he can shut it down. But I can tell you the, the word continues to go out. And we have numerous men in the military. And they are faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. We've had two of our men who've been wounded, but not seriously. Uh, they came out for a couple of weeks and now they are, uh, are back in combat. And uh, I just ask you to pray uh, for our people. And while you pray for our people, pray also for the United States we are still here as a nation. Years ago, I remember seeing a bumper sticker that said, if God doesn't judge America, you'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, uh, it's not that judgment is going to come to America. Judgment is here. It has already arrived. And we need to be in much prayer for this nation. Now, how does God judge a nation? This is found throughout scripture. God uses a number of means to judge a nation. One is economic collapse. We're seeing problems with economy. Uh, that's judgment on a nation. Uh, 
disease. Have you had any problems with that in this country? COVID-19, other things. See, that's, that's one way that God brings judgment on a nation. Famine. You watch food shortages. They're going to come. Invasion of foreigners. Do we have that? Huh? From our southern border? Millions have come into America illegally. Violence. Do we have an increase in violence? Yes. God uses these things as judgment on a nation. According to Leviticus 26, evil beasts will rob you of your children. What's happening to our children? Kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, they are under attack. Evil beasts, and they are beasts, they're animals, robbing us of our children. This is one way that God brings judgment on a nation. Another way that God judges a nation, according to Romans chapter 1, is to allow people to express their sinful nature with impunity. Oh, you want to do that? Go ahead. You want to sin in that area? Go ahead without restraint. And so what do we see? Do we have perversion? Oh, indeed we do. And that's one way that God judges a nation. And in my opinion, much of the blame for the conditions of this country belong to the church because we have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. All across this nation, you have people who have dumbed down the gospel or places where they don't even preach the gospel anymore because they don't want to talk about sin. Sin's negative. If I talk about sin, people are going to feel bad. And if they feel bad, they're not going to come to church. And we, we have perversion of the gospel all across the country. And not only that, we have churches today, they do not teach the word of God. They'll teach you how to be successful on Monday. They'll teach you how to get along. We get a lot of psychology. But we don't have the teaching of the word of God in so many churches. And in our seminaries today, they are not training men to exegete the word of God. They're, they're teaching men how to give nostrums, how to be counselors. But they're doing so without giving a biblical foundation. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they heap up for themselves teachers and they turn away their ears from the truth. And they're turned aside to fables. So they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of godliness. On the outside, they look good. People come to church. Oh, you look so nice. They look so spiritual. But on the inside, they are just full of corruption, and they, they don't know what to, to do about it. They don't know what the Word of God says, and if they do, they're not really interested it says in Proverbs 14:34 righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people 
People say, where do you find the United States in Scripture? Well, it's not mentioned by name, but it is mentioned in principle. I find it in Jeremiah chapter 18, where the Lord told Jeremiah, go down to the house of the potter. And Jeremiah did, and he watched this potter who had a a lump of clay on the wheel, and the potter began to make it into a vessel. And then as he was forming this pot, there was some defect in the clay, and it ruined everything he was doing, so he just smashed it down, and he started all over again. So in Jeremiah 18.7, the Lord says this, The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, then I will repent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. So God says, I've announced judgment on a nation, but if that nation will turn, God says, then I will turn. But he goes on in verse 9, he says, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build it and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent. I will turn concerning the good with which I thought I said, with which I said I would benefit it. And that's where we are. God has blessed this nation more than any nation in all of human history. No nation has ever enjoyed the freedom that we enjoy to the extent that we have it. No nation has ever had prosperity the way that we have had it. We have been so greatly blessed in this nation. But we will throw it away. And God will bring judgment. He is bringing judgment. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He removes kings. He raises up kings. Think about that one. But then in Daniel chapter 4, he says three times, The Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomever he chooses. The Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That's Daniel chapter 4, verses 17, 25, and 32. He says it over and over again, and when you find a repetition in Scripture, it's saying, hello, listen. Underline this, highlight this, pay attention because this is important. And in Daniel 5.21, the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Is your God sovereign? Is he the most high God? So God can do what God wants to do. So I have a question. 
Could your God have changed the outcome of the election in 2020? Could your God have done that? Yes. He didn't do it, did he? Ah, must be a reason for that. He did not choose to do that. And we get the leadership that we deserve. And you say, oh, we don't deserve this. Oh, yes, we do. We are an evil people. We are an evil nation. We have spurned the God who has blessed this nation as a people. We need to pray for this nation. How are you going to pray for this nation? Well, we need to start with a biblical example, and I would encourage you to read Daniel chapter 9. Now, Daniel 9 is familiar to many because of that famous prophecy of the 70 weeks found at the end of the chapter. What about the first half of the chapter? Do you know that's a prayer of Daniel on behalf of his nation? And Daniel says, we have sinned. We are guilty. We deserve this judgment. And Daniel doesn't exclude himself. Now, Daniel wasn't responsible for the downfall of his nation. He wasn't involved in gross immorality, idolatry, sinful behavior. And yet he said, we. He's part of that sinful nation. And so here we are, the people of God, people who are oriented to the word of God, do not think that we will escape judgment because we are an evil people. But whatever comes, know that God has a purpose for you right where you are. This is a great time to be alive. Everything is falling apart around us. It's disaster, it's chaos in this country. And people are living in fear, people are living in panic, people are so confused about so many things. Great time to be alive because we are told we are here for a purpose, we are here to glorify God. And it doesn't matter what happens around me, I only have to answer one question. And that question is, what does God want me to do in this situation? If you can answer that, the rest doesn't matter. How can I glorify God today? Okay, things are falling apart. What's God doing? How can I serve the Lord? God is in control of history, and I, I can't change that. You can't change that. but we can fulfill the plan of God. What's your goal in life? Why are you here? If, if you had to write down on a piece of paper right now, my goal in life is, what would you put down? Here's what I want to do with the rest of my life. What will you write down? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, we make this our aim. This is our goal. The word means this is where you focus your love. This is what you love to give honor to. In other words, this is the goal of your life. 
we make this our aim. What is it? To be well-pleasing to him. Is that your goal? Okay. How can I please God right now? Colossians 1.10, Paul is praying. He's praying for the Colossians. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. That's your conduct. Every day. We need to conduct ourselves in a way that's worthy of the Lord. Secondly, to please God in all respects. To be fully pleasing to God, it means in every area of your life, your thought life, your speech, your actions, to be fully pleasing to God. Thirdly, to bear fruit in every good work. He's saying, do something that's going to be productive. And we do this when we walk in the Spirit. We do this when we are doing the Word and not just being hearers. And then the fourth thing in Colossians 1.10, to increase in the knowledge of God. And we need to do that. We need to keep on taking in the Word of God. We need to be reading the Word of God every day. Are you doing this? Are you in the Word? You see, we have, you have here a church, a magnificent church, where the Word of God is being taught. You're being taught truth. It's hard to find churches anymore where the truth is being taught. But it's still taught in this church. But I submit to you it's not enough to come just on Sunday morning and come to Bible class. You need to be in the Word. You need to be increasing in your knowledge of the Word of God. Second Peter 3.18, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is going to require that you be in the Word. Are you reading it every day? So if I were to ask, what percentage of the Bible have you read in the past 12 months? 10%? 50%? How much have you read? In your Bible, you have 1,189 chapters. Now, if you divide that by 365, what is that? That's the number of days in a year. Okay. That comes out to a little over three chapters a day. Can you read three chapters a day? Well, I don't know. That's a lot, three chapters a day. I have several audio Bibles that I like to listen to. They take about 72 hours to read slowly, very slowly. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's very slow. You can read much faster than that. It takes 72 hours to go from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation 22. Now, if you divide 72 hours by 365, comes out to about 12 minutes. You can read your Bible in 12 minutes. You have 12 minutes? Listen, you're going to spend 12 minutes doing this. It's what's important to you. But we need to keep the Word of God just flowing through our soul. It will remind you of what God has done. 
And throughout scripture, we are told that we need to remind ourselves of what God has done. Remember what God has done. How are you going to do that? You need to be reading because you're you're going to come to Bible class. You're going to get tremendous information right here, but it's going to be a very small portion of the word of God. So uh, had this tremendous lesson from Jude. Okay. Short book, but if you're in Jude for three months, there's a whole lot of other Bible that you're not getting, and we need to be reminded, what has God done? What has God promised? What has God provided for us today? And as we keep on putting the Word of God into our souls, that it keeps just washing over us, then it provides a basis for thinking. It provides a basis for stability so that we can have a biblical worldview so we can understand what's going on and have a rational basis for, for what we believe. And I believe also that you need to be memorizing Scripture. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. What does that mean? You mean, let's recite this. But you shall meditate on it day and night. How are you going to do that? You're thinking. You go along. Oh, yeah, I've got a Bible verse for that. Or here's what the Bible says about this particular situation. And when you can't sleep at night, oh, start reciting Bible verses. That'll put you to sleep. But really, have the Word of God part of your soul. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have great success. You will have prosperity spiritual. You will have success spiritual. You will be able to please God with your life. But you've got to have the word of God. You've got to have a personal spiritual life. Coming to church is essential. It's necessary. It's important. But that's not enough. And we need to be in prayer. You need to be praying for your nation. You need to be praying for our leaders. In 1 Timothy 2, 1, Paul says, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Are you praying for our president? I hope you are. You better pray that God's going to keep him alive. Hello? We need to be praying for those in authority, for those in the Congress, for those who are in state government, for judges, for all who are in authority. We need to be praying for them. I hope you're doing that. We're commanded to do that. And if we don't, what can we expect? We have responsibilities. So I just want to encourage you. you God has you here for a purpose. And we are told that we are to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Are we there? 
Oh, I believe we are. We're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You have a responsibility. And it's not to get along. As I mentioned, I, I've been in many churches even since March of this year, just in the last five months, probably more than 30 churches. Many of them are, well, all of them are Bible teaching churches and they are politically conservative, but I'll tell you, I'm distressed when I find Christians who are looking for a political solution to our present distress. There is no political solution. I don't care who you put in the White House. I don't care who you've got in Congress. The solution is spiritual and we need to focus on that. We can survive evil leadership, but we cannot survive evil people. And when you see what's happening in our nation, it's not the politics that's killing us. It's the people who have turned away from God, people who have a worldview that is far from the scriptures. And we need to focus on the spiritual. We need to focus on seeing people saved. You want to see people saved? If I were to ask you how many of you want to see people saved, I'm sure we would see all of you put up your hands. But then I ask, who do you want to see saved? And people say, well, everybody. No, who specifically? Well, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. Well, see, that's a problem. Why are we here? God has kept you alive for his purposes. And he's got you right where he wants you at this time for his purposes. We just need to focus on understanding God's purpose and then say, that's what I'm going to do. And then we have done all that we can do. And God can bless us in spite of our circumstances. God has not called us to comfort. God has not called us to ease. He hasn't called us to prosperity and success. God has called us to faithfulness. And if you focus on pleasing God, wonderful life, glorious life, a life of blessing, a life of peace. Jesus said, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you may have peace. Now in the world you will have tribulation. But cheer up because I've overcome the world. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So you're here. God has a purpose for you right here at this time in this place. May you fulfill that purpose. Heavenly Father, I give thanks that you're a God of grace and mercy, that you're long-suffering, you're patient, you put up with us. You've not dealt with us according to our sins. You have not rewarded us according to our iniquities. But as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is your mercy on those who fear you. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have preserved us. We're still here. And it's not by our strength, not by our wisdom, but because you still have a purpose for us. 
Well, I do pray that you're going to keep America free, even though we deserve this judgment that's upon us. I pray that you will continue to keep us free so that we can continue to send out missionaries with your word around the world, so that we can continue to publish and distribute the word of God in thousands of languages, and so that we can continue to be ambassadors for Christ. So I thank you for your faithfulness. I pray, Father, also that we as your stewards might be faithful and fulfill the purpose for which you have kept us alive and put us in this place at this time. So I just pray that through us you're going to be glorified. May the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted, preeminent, high and lifted up. So we give thanks for all of your grace that comes to us through the one who loved us and gave himself for us, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, if you'd all please turn with me to hymn number 9191, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus.
Father in heaven, we come to you with gratitude for the ministry of the gospel we've enjoyed together today. Thank you that by your word, according to your design, we have fellowship with you through the blood of Jesus Christ that goes on cleansing us from all sin and the power of your Holy Spirit who's come to abide in us forever. Father, it is our prayer for our loved ones, our family and friends, maybe even those who may be here with us today who don't know your son, Jesus Christ, that the gospel message would be very clear to them. That they would know that he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that they might understand that their standing before God requires a Savior because we are all lost in our sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Father, we ask that they would understand that the only answer to our need is Jesus Christ and what he did for us at the cross, that to be saved... What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you and your household. Father, we thank you that you have loved us this way, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us, that, God, you have demonstrated your own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, I pray for this message of your love and your grace and your work of your Son on our behalf, to take root in the hearts of our loved ones, our family, our friends, those in our environs. Help us know that we have this eternal life because we have the Son. Fathers, we go forward in this life, in this day, in this week. Glorify yourself in our choices. Strengthen us in the power of your Spirit to live the life that you want us to live, representing Jesus Christ in our words and our deeds. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen.